learned from the depths of the bad man. With a gun and a knife and a waistband. With the war with the devil and Shaytan. He wore a bad toupee and a spray tan. So high now, hoping that I land. On a tight stick, moving through Thailand. On the radio, heard a plane hijack. Government did that like the crook crack. Welcome to the fourth episode of the new Lookout Landing podcast, which at some point I guess I'll stop calling the new Lookout Landing podcast and it'll just be the Lookout Landing podcast, which still doesn't really have a name, but I'm kind of rolling with this for now. Uh, I am Kate Prusser. I'm managing editor of the Lookout Landing website. And joining me today, as always, is audio engineer, graphics wizard, and my close personal friend, Jose Rivera. Jose, how are you doing? Hello. Hi. I'm good. How are you? Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? How's Arizona treating you these days? Pretty nice. I mean, with the winter being actual cool temperatures and not triple digits, uh, I am surviving still. It's nice. Reminds me of back home. So mm. I'm good with it. It's uh, it's miserable here right now. The wind mm. is just like, whoosh, just cutting right through you. I miss so, that. Uh, mm, you might you might not be missing it today. I spent like an <laughs> hour outside and I still can't feel my feet. Speaking of I can't feel my face when I'm with you, John Troopin is with us again. John, my precious, how are you? I, I'm doing well. Very glad to be here to help regulate our fourth member. Keep him in check. Yes, our <laughs> our special guest for tonight. Uh John's best best friend, is that fair to say best friend? You could say he's. He, I've been on the fence for about the last fourteen years, but oh boy. he's doing okay. <laughs> and fellow writer at Lookout Landing, Grant Bronston. Grant, hello, hello, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> did I say your name right? You I always did. get that S and the D wrong. It's pronounced Bronze Dawn. Are not Bronze the only Dawn. one, but you nailed it. <laughs> And you two, I mean, we had to have you on together at some point. But you two have been friends for, like, forever, yes. Uh, Literally seven years grade. old. Yeah. Indeed. And what You were was seven, it, I was six. What was it that uh, immediately showed you that this was going to be the foundation of, like, a lifelong friendship? Um, I think it was probably my outfit on the first day. The fact that anyone could befriend <laughs> a blonde, bowl-cut kid... With a bright orange Hawaiian shirt and a bright blue cast on his left arm, probably a good sign that it's the lasting thing. See, Grant did, Grant did the perfect thing where he had a broken arm for one day. He comes yeah. in the first day, has a cast on his arm. Everyone immediately recognizes him, likes him, signs the cast. Next day, his cast gets taken off. So everyone knew him, but he never had to have the pain of actually having to struggle in class. But were you always, like, cast kid for a while? or? I don't remember yes, being that. that is what we called him. They called him I remember it kid. explicitly. <laughs> Finally shook it off me in and, sixth grade, but it took a while. Me and Jack D and Jack S and Jack HC and Jack Stir all called <laughs> yeah. you cast kid in the corner. 28 kid oh. class, there were four people named Jack. Um, so tonight we have, we, we have a, a fun evening planned for you in which we are going to go through... The Mariners past, present, and future. Um, but before we do that, we want to start off with a, a new segment we're kind of kicking off at the top of the show here. Three things you need to know from this week. So the first thing that you might be interested in this week is uh, obviously Jerry's kind of done with his major moves, so we assume, so we hope. Jerry's probably never done, but uh, we're starting to move around like minor league pieces at this point. So. 
first thing, uh, an interesting signing in Nick Hagedon. Did I say it right? Hagedon. Hagedon. Nailed it. Hagedon. Uh, you might recognize Hagedon's name. He is uh, Northwest, born and bred. From He's people out in Idaho and went to grew up in Sumner and went to the UW where he pitched with uh, our old favorite Timmy, little Timmy Lincecum. Um, Hagenon had like sort of a, sort of a checkered, a little bit of a checkered career where he was with the Indians. He actually played for Maniacta when he was with the Indians and got frustrated once and uh, punched something and fractured his left forearm. So uh, he missed... The whole 2016 season, I believe. Well, this was this was Whoa. back in 2012 when he was placed oh. on the minor league disqualified list. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So it was not it was not that. Um, I th- I'm not sure if he had an injury. He did have an injury because he missed all of 2016. He pitched minor in the minors with the Brewers in 2015. I believe so, a fractured elbow. In fractured 2016. elbow. 2016. Yeah. All right. So he's uh, talking about a bounce back candidate. Um, I don't know if there's much to be super excited about there, but it is a signing that makes sense. And uh, you know he's a lefty. I do. I love a. I love a lefty. Nice tall lefty. The familiarity with Acta is intriguing, and I believe in 2015 uh, when I first looked at it, he had started incorporating a cutter, which is a staple of this organization it seems <laughs> at this point so yep. um perhaps they see him as someone who uh has the potential to develop you know he's still got good velocity can throw in the mid 90s and you know if you can throw in the mid 90s from the left side you're gonna keep getting chances so mm-hmm. he could stick at home for sure and you know he's got like a little bit of a mimo-ish look about him six five lefty kind of that mimo-ish face that's just a <laughs> Really what's a, what's nice, a Mimo-ish face? Like, just a really nice, generic, white guy-looking face. <laughs> I think she means lovable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the that's the first thing. Second thing, you want to cover this one, Grant? Absolutely. Well, obviously, Jerry's been trying to stockpile relievers, which is why we're all very excited that Jesus Sucre will remain with the organization. Uh, the one-time or maybe two-time pitcher, uh, which is probably a better idea than keeping him at catcher, where he really just can't hit, but he is lovable and did have a wonderful end of the year last year. Uh, he will be staying in AAA. So for all of you who had the answer to the Jerry Depoto trivia question of which players have been on the 40-man from when he started to now. He's no longer part of that one, but he's still with the organization. Uh, he's behind, obviously, Mike Zanino. He's behind Carlos Ruiz. He's behind the newly acquired and quickly punned Tuffy Ghost Switch. Uh, but, you know, you can't have too much depth when you're a major league organization, and it's fine to pay for minor leaguers or in Sucre's case, you know, about a hundred thousand dollars over the, the major league minimum. So it's, you know, always nice to have more depth. All right. Third thing. I think this is, this goes over to you, John, as you're sort of the official spokesperson for it. Um, so it has been a, a good week in Mitch Hanniger fandom. <laughs> uh, I think you could say, um, I wrote the 40 and 40 on 
uh, our good friend Mitch, um, which was a lot of fun to do, um, and I was very excited to see uh, that folks are sort of in the same place as me, and that we have, um, I think it's very exciting to see that we have a player, uh, almost, I'd almost forgotten what it was like to have a prospect that you that is immediately ready, who comes up and you think, oh yeah, these all of these things should work. They do all of these things well, <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, well, it's possible <laughs> that they'll do one thing well if everything goes right. Just to sort of have uh, have a prospect with a high floor actually make it to the big leagues, um, as opposed to last year where you had Marte, where it was like, well, you see all of the concerns, and it, they could be good, but they could completely crater. So um, it's been fun to see Hanager, uh, Hanager's support and enthusiasm uh, flourish, and um, a lot of people, both within sort of Mariners fandom and sort of around baseball, talking about outfield defense and talking about that as potentially the next little thing like pitch framing, which maybe a few years ago was recognized as a skill, but not necessarily fully appreciated as uh, as how valuable of a thing it could be that might be missed in the numbers and evaluations that we do. And so... Um, it's an exciting week in terms of recognizing what type of team uh, Jerry Depoto and the Mariners are trying to build, which we're going to get into uh, a lot in this segment. And uh, I mean, I don't know if it's possible for if it was possible for a person to trend within Mariners Twitter, Mitch Haniger <laughs> would have definitely been trending this week because absolutely we've been saying a lot of nice things about him. Um, I believe that you have coined a nickname for this outfield that we are very excited about. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, so I was, as I was writing the piece and I'd been thinking about this, I threw out the name the Marine Layer uh, for our outfielders uh, just because so we've had this stretch of pretty much the entirety of Safeco Field's existence where fly balls just aren't going anywhere. Um, and it has been discussed. It's the marine layer. It's the it's the air. It's it's the damp Seattle uh, mentality and the damp Seattle uh, atmosphere. Um, but for the first time in a long time, we decided we should actually build our roster and build uh, an outfield uh, to fill in all those big gaps out there in the outfield and. Uh, I figure a man-made marine layer can combine with the <laughs> natural one uh, pretty nicely. So it's time, it's time to own that name. Absolutely. Yes, yep. turn that into a positive for us instead of a negative. Mm-hmm. Although I have oh, to say, I'm... the last you know last year especially, Safeco Field really became a haven for home runs. It's true. Yeah. Um, Which was annoying. It was, yes. It was. It was fun <laughs> and and also quite confusing, but especially with the team that they've constructed this offseason with uh, a number of flyball pitchers and with a few of the pitchers that we had sort of becoming flyball pitchers, um, there's going to be a lot of things to chase. So we <laughs> might as well have, have folks out <laughs> there who know how to do that. Um, and we haven't had a death to flying things for quite a while, but now we've got three of them. Well, that maybe makes a nice, uh, a nice transition into the first of our series when we talk about 
the past. And we're not going to go back to like 1977 or anything and work our way through all those years of of Mariner's misery. Uh, we're not going to go through Bill Bavese and his time. But I think it's worth maybe starting with Jack Z and discussing the Jack Z regime and what kind of a team he built and what he left. So most importantly, with an eye towards looking at what Jerry DePoto inherited when he took over. And what Jerry DePoto inherited was uh, a prospect graveyard. Is that fair to say? <laughs> that is absolutely fair yeah. to say. Where, where prospects go to die. Um, I believe it was Ethan Novak, one of our uh, one of our writers, said he knows someone in the he has a contact in the Aquasox organization, and some family when they found out that their son had been drafted by the Mariners were very very unhappy and said, uh, you know, essentially they're gonna they're gonna ruin our kid. Oof. And you want Oof. that not to be true, but let's revisit some of these other names. Um, Dustin Ackley, Nick Franklin, <laughs> Danny Holson, <laughs> DJ Peterson, although we'll get back to that one, <laughs> Alex Jackson, Mike Zanino, and then let's also think about who we traded for. At, we traded for them when they were young, so I, I mean, I think you could still consider them quasi-prospect status. Uh, Justin Smoke. Yep. Jesus Montero. I mean, this is this is a long, a long list of mostly failure here, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's just saying the names out loud in order like that just really bums me out. It's a bummer. It's a real yeah. bummer. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer. It, it was a bummer to do the research for this. It is a bummer to talk about. There is probably okay. So with Ackley. Ackley is a confusing one with me because he, everything that he was in college, he became the opposite of in the major leagues, right? Like he had great plate discipline. He had this amazing ability to judge whether it was a ball or a strike. And then he completely lost that in the major leagues after, you know, his one good rookie year aside. So I was like, well... I mean, could we say that that's just that's just a, a fluke? You know, maybe prospects bust all the time. But when you list all of these names together, Occam's Razor says it's not the player; it's the system of player development, right? Yep. And I, we've seen that sort of expressed in in snippets and and in discussions, and whether it's been publicly stated by people from the organization or private things that we've heard that at every level, you know, play, guys were getting a different set of instructions about what to do. You know, that there was no sort of organizational philosophy uh, and there was no consistency. And if you yeah, look I, at, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, what's shocking is that, you know, all those guys you mentioned, Ackley, Smoke, Montero, uh, these guys are all top 10, top 15 prospects in the entire game. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys, you know, though prospects do bust, top 10 or top 15 prospects very rarely bust. And we had yeah. what seems like all of them bust. I don't think that can be a coincidence. Absolutely not. I mean, of all the names on that list, I think the one thing is 
Holton's shoulder blew up. I mean, that's that's just bad luck. You know, that's that's a yeah. rough time, and you feel bad mm-hmm. for the kid. Uh, that is the one where I'm like, okay, obviously that's that's well out of the organization's hands. But looking at the rest of them, you know, it's it's hard to believe that that wasn't just. I think that what, and again, I don't want to go too far forward here, but seeing Tyler O'Neill at FanFest talk about, wait, you mean I can hit for power and average? Like, <laughs> why weren't you getting that earlier? <laughs> I, I mean, I know we joke about how Tyler is kind of a meathead or whatever. He's more you have to talk like this. Uh, you know, he seems like like a stereotypical, like a like a background player in like an '80s movie where he's like in the weight room, you know, while the two leads are having a big discussion over the girl they think is pretty. You know, he's the guy doing like chin ups. That's very specific. <laughs> I'm, I might have just watched Sixteen Candles a while ago. Sorry, um, but you know, I I don't think that that's Tyler is a good hitter and he has good instincts. I think that that's just. That, that it's that kind of a sea change, something that we think of as so obvious. Of course you can hit for power and average. Of course you don't have to just be a power hitter. Of course you should be able to control the zone and, and take walks. But this very, very basic thing didn't seem to be making its way down to the lower levels of the organization. And it just seemed like people didn't really care, you know? Like, um, they cared about getting themselves to the show. And this came out a little bit in the interview that I did with Ian Miller, um, talking about he because he did Jackson two years he did Jackson when they were the worst team in the league and he did Jackson when they were the best team in the league and uh, the difference in mindset and approach like from an individual one to a team approach a team-based approach Jaxie left Jerry with a pretty pitted out farm system and a team that was old and not great in a lot of offensive categories. Uh, 14th in walks while being 6th in strikeout percentage. Uh, 23rd in average, 22nd in on-base percentage. Although 12th in slugging because Jack Z. <laughs> dingers. Uh, of course, all the dingers. All the, all the right-handed power hitters. Um, they were 28th in defense. And 29th in base running. Yeah, that was the 2015 team. So uh, that's what that that's what Jerry had to work with coming into this. Well, I think uh, something Jerry has said a lot, uh, particularly recently, was the amount of negative WAR players that uh, that he yes. that he mm-hmm. inherited, which was a ridiculous amount of negative WAR players to have on the team. Did and it seemed it like six. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Like we had Logan Morrison with a negative um, 0.2, um, Sucre negative 0.3, uh, Zanino negative 0.5, Montero negative 0.5, Bloomquist negative 0.6, Ackley negative 0.7, Ricky Weeks Jr. negative 0.7. Like that's what he had to work with, and it's just brutal. Um, Ricky Weeks Jr. Ricky Weeks Jr. A.K.A. the move that every single one of us was like, "Well, there's no way this is gonna work." <laughs> Even the most casual Mariners fan was like, "This is a terrible idea." And Jagzy was like, "Hold my beer." <laughs> <laughs> we did, we got. See, I actually I'm very much in favor in retrospect of that move because 
I barely remember him having 95 plate appearances and playing in 37 games. Jesus. Oh, uh, <laughs> I sure remember but, watching him play left field. But I was going to oh, say, we yeah. have that one amazing photo of him <laughs> looking like the ball is it's just true. about to like explode in his face. <laughs> exactly. Which, you know... I don't know if that was going to change the complete and you know change the season completely for us. So I'm willing to have that one image be uh, <laughs> our penance, our our payment. A small price to pay. I mean, yeah. if you're going to be bad, at least be hilariously bad, right? Very true. And the 2015 team <laughs> the was 2015 story. <laughs> they were hilarious bad. They were oh. awful. Um, so I think when we talk about the 2016 team. And the changes that were made there. And we talk about the 2017 team. It's pretty amazing to look at the amount of change that has been affected. And I mean, you know, there's jokes made about, oh, Trader Jerry he can't, he can't quit the trade juice. Like, <laughs> uh, he gets itchy if he doesn't make a trade for a couple hours. But like, he had to make all of those moves. He had nothing to work with in the farm system, and he had a roster that really needed to be overhauled, and a roster that was really, really, really poorly built for Safeco Field. Yep. Uh, which is, again, I, just something that the viewer at home, it was very much like a, it, the experience is kind of like being in a in a horror movie, right? And you're like, no, don't go down there. Don't go into Safeco <laughs> with those horrible, unathletic outfielders. No, but then they do it anyway because we wouldn't have a show otherwise. <laughs> it's been a. I think we've had a sort of stretch of a lot of positivity towards a lot of the things Jerry's done, and again, we'll get to that in the future. But I think it's maybe been in reaction to the fact that obviously Vasey, but like, like you said, every single move. From the last 10 years almost, it has felt like this is, you know, you could sit at home and say, this is just isn't going to work. Like, it, none of this makes any sense. Why would you put a bunch of righty power hitters who do one thing in a place where righty power hitters always come to die? <laughs> like, just why would you put Mark Trumbo and Seth Smith and Logan Morrison in the outfield? Hey, hey, when do you want to know what uh, Mark Trumbo was worth on defense? In 2015? I probably don't, because I no want to sleep do, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Lay it on us. Negative 8.8. Jeez. Mm. Do you want to know what Nelson Cruz was? Negative 17.6. Jeez. That's all right. Well, it was an improvement over Raul Ibanez, surely. <laughs> so, <clears throat> that was a good time. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, those are that, that's what he was left with, you know, an, an outfield that consisted of Nelson Cruz and Seth Smith and uh, Franklin Gutierrez and Mark Trumbo and Ricky Wee. I mean, it just goes on. And Austin Jackson, who wasn't awful out there, uh, but was pretty awful on the bases. Very awful. Yeah. He thought he was fast, and he <laughs> was not fast enough to steal bases, at least. There was, there was a streak where he kept on running. Kind of mm-hmm. like uh, Nori did last year. Yep. They just they thought they could steal bases, and they kept on doing it, and they kept on getting thrown out. <laughs> Red light. It's like, they were like, don't run, don't run, don't run. He ran. 
<laughs> and he's out. And he's running, and he's out. Uh, yeah, that was... Um, I mean, again, it's like an it's an identity thing. You know, he was brought here, and he's got this idea that he's fast, but uh, just did not... There was a back-to-back stretch in 2015 where in left field, Franklin Gutierrez, not, unfortunately, fun death-to-flying things, Franklin Gutierrez, but sapped of vitality, still Aww. lovable. Still, still lovable, handsome. but just still handsome. wonderful, but not defensively uh, adept. Franklin Gutierrez was in left field. Sean O'Malley was our starting center fielder, mm-hmm. and Mark Trumbo was our starting right fielder. <laughs> and then they decided, well... God. Uh, let's let's see. That didn't really work out. We uh, we lost ten to one. Uh, let's try something <laughs> new. Goody, you can stay in left. Uh, Seth Smith, how about you run it out there in right field? And uh, Stefan Romero, go ahead, try oh, out center field. Oh, How's it feel? Are you serious? <laughs> Straight up. I blocked that out of my memory. I do not remember that. Oh yeah, that's a good uh, thing, Jose. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. your brain protecting you. <laughs> I just don't like getting hurt, I guess. I don't know. That's good. One thing that I think is interesting is every single time you have a general manager get fired, uh, it's because the team probably did a little worse than they were supposed to, which means that there's going to be some natural room for improvement the next year. And this is true in any sport with a head coach or general manager. Mm. And so I think part of the improvement that Jerry Depoto has shown is probably because, you know, the end of the Jack Z regime did you know, it ended so poorly. Um, But it's also important to remember that the Jack Z regime started out really well. I mean, then we were building this speed and defense team. We were trying to build around uh, actual death to flying things, Franklin Gutierrez. And, you know, we still had Ichiro when he was, you know, fast and good and not a shell of himself getting to 3000 hits. Uh, And then once Tony Blangino left, whether it's coincidental or not, you know, he kind of abandoned the sabermetric uh, dream of speed and defense and started just chasing dingers and exit velocity. And mm. that's kind of when things started going going all all down south. Grant, you worked for uh, the team at a time. For I a did time for, for the, two separate summers. For two summers. Do you want to talk about that ex- experience at all? Yeah, like, I mean, it? you know, I don't. I think it was it was fascinating to be on that side, but you know, uh, I just I don't have that much to compare it to. I never worked for any general manager other than Jack Z, and I wasn't really seeing him a whole lot. But uh, one of the things that really struck me was, you know, because he was such a, a a baseball guy, right? He was this minor league player who became a scout and then spent his entire working career for decades and decades in the game. The team was run like. Uh, you know, like a, like a, like baseball guys running a team. And I think we've seen a trend in recent years, really since, probably since Moneyball was published, uh, or, uh, the extra, what, the extra 2%, I think with Joan, by Jonah Carey, uh, about owners and, and teams, uh, being run like their companies and trying to have a more corporate feel. And I think that's what Jerry DePoto, though, not having that typical corporate background, is bringing and i think that's what we're seeing more with you know he talks about how he likes to go play in spreadsheets you know that's not never something that jack z would have said (laughs) no absolute opposite (laughs) uh and so you know you're getting them the teams are all becoming smarter and i think the mariners are are joining that wave of of trying to 
iron out all of the inefficiencies and play to their strengths. And this year, Jack or uh, Jerry uh, is realizing that you know let's play to the strength of uh, a good defensive outfield and uh, a bunch of hitters that are going to be able to to hit well in Seattle and that will play well for you know given the the thin roster he had to to start out. And I don't want to I don't want to disparage the you know the the many friends but also very smart and incredibly baseball adept people that were and still are working for the Mariners. Um sure. and I think they were chasing some of the right things. You know, they saw that and one of the big focuses I remember was exit velocity, right? It was yeah. you know, okay, well we've got this marine layer keeping the ball down. Let's go find guys that can hit the ball really hard and will be able to, to hopefully beat that. And one of those guys that the exit velocity just absolutely loved is Nelson Cruz. And that one is mm-hmm. signing has worked out better than probably anyone in the entire world, save for Nelson and his family, uh, could have predicted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there, there is no way that anyone would thought this contract that we that he would still be a top shelf player or at least hitter going into the third year of this contract. Yeah. And even like someone like Logan Morrison, like you saw the the ability there. Like you mm-hmm. saw, you know, he was someone who had incredible exit velocity yep. numbers, and um, you know, we would see flashes. It, it just, in many of these cases, I think came down to like we talked about, an inability to develop the talent um, and an inability to have a cohesive organizational mentality. Um, you know, even with you know smart ideas and really smart people, you know. If people, if the people playing the game and the people doing the coaching, um, just aren't on the same page, you know, it, it sometimes it just doesn't going to work out. Yep. Well, that sounds like a really good transition into talking about the present and where we are now. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we will uh, visit with we'll visit with the ghost of Christmas present. Having looked into the chamber of horrors known as the Mariner's Past, we turn our attention to sunnier skies here in the Mariner's Present. All right, so I know we're all feeling pretty good about the team this year. Um, Fangraphs has the Mariners at 83 wins and 79 losses. I feel that's a little low, um, considering last year we had uh, 86 wins. And I don't know, what do y'all think? Y'all, y'all think that's uh, that's a little bit low as well? Oh, that's absolutely. Low. I mean, they're a better they're a better team than they were last year. I think they don't have a sucking hole at first base. Theoretically, he could be he he could be a sucking hole, I guess. But they don't have a sucking hole at shortstop. Um, and I don't know about Zinino. You know, I just hope it's a push. It's a wash. I just can say I, I get why the projection systems are kind of being much more cautiously optimistic, but. I'm willing to be more full-blown optimistic, and I don't think it's unrealistic that this team wins, you know, 86 to 90 games. Mm-hmm. 
that, that's that's kind of where I'm at as well. Because um, I, I think at worst, even even with some injuries, that I don't think they're they're still that bad of a team. Um, the depth is really nice this year. Uh, something that we really have never had before. Uh, so it's it's nice to see that. Um, one of the other big things about this year, probably the thing everyone's most excited about, is the outfield. Yeah, this, this outfield is going to be really, really fun to watch. Um, there was an article today, um, and, w- and I can't remember the, the, the writer's name, Subi? Subi? Ah, yes, Subi. Subi? Um, he essentially put together this amazing formula. Um, amazing fan post yeah, on the site. Uh, yeah. Definitely recommend go checking it out. Mm-hmm. And it, it essentially says that this team is going to improve based on this formula he created, which makes sense if you read it, by 40%. 44. What's that? At 44, and it's actually, 44. according to one of the commenters, that's a 40, it was a 44 percentage point increase, which would be 131% yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was sort of piggybacked on by a Jeff Sullivan piece, not necessarily directly but um just looking at the projections and sort of the jump in last year's production uh to uh how much you know that the mariners are the team that by a dramatic margin has improved the most this offseason defensively Mm -hmm. as a whole but jose sorry you were saying i didn't mean to cut you off no no no. the explanation there no that's totally fine uh i mean because essentially i was just going to jump into um you know Who's playing in the outfield? I mean, we're going to have Gerard Dyson in left field, Leonis Martin in center, and uh, gorgeous Mitch Hanniger in right field. <laughs> and uh, Handsome Hanny. Ha- handsome Hanniger. Uh, um, and, I mean, Gerard Dyson last year had a, what, 3.1 war? Um, yes. Obviously, most of that was from his defense. Um, but his bat wasn't that bad, actually. Um, I believe he had a 287 clip. Something uh, like that. 278, 340, 388. Yeah. That's pretty good. And good. 94 and WRC+. Plus. Only in 337 plate appearances. Right. So for a full season, you're looking at, you know, were he to keep that pace up, that's a five-win season. And that's, that's pretty nice. Now um, he's got Edgar. <laughs> that's, that's the th- I mean, that's, I know it's easy for us to say that, but it feels like that's true. Like that's a big factor of, a lot of these guys that will have continued success is Edgar will fix them. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things that it's, uh, it's nice to have him around for that. So and Scott Brocious. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing I think is like, especially Edgar has so much of the respect in the Latin community and the ability to be bilingual and everything. Um, and just doubling that and having someone else is, giving them that much more time to spend with each individual player and uh, really address some of those things. Um, so I have a question for Grant if about the uh, sort of roster construction here because we talked earlier on about how the shift has gone from these sort of righty power-hitting uh, players and just so strongly focusing on exit velocity and issuing defense in many ways Mm -hmm. um do you feel like having now a team that is so strongly uh committed to sort of speed and defense do you think that that's um going to work or do you think that sort of having so many players that almost have the same role can be a problem for a team uh i I think 
there's a couple different issues there. One is, can having guys in the same role be a problem? I think that's much more of a team chemistry kind of thing. You know, like, does it actually hurt to have multiple guys thinking that they're going to both be taking the same at-bats or the same plate appearances? Um, and that goes in with the same thinking of, you know, does it actually make sense to always hit a guy seventh because he knows, he knows he's going to do better when he's hitting seventh compared to ninth? Which right. I don't particularly put stock in, but I also stopped playing baseball after my senior year of high school, so I wouldn't say that I'm <laughs> by any means anywhere close to an expert. Um but I think I think overall, I, what I like about this roster construction is that the guys on the current in the current lineup and on the current roster, there's you know that you know, we talked about this earlier. There's a high floor. You know, we're not taking any guys and just hoping that they can keep up this miraculous you know defense or hitting. I think that you know that Gerard Dyson stat we quoted earlier. You know, we did not acquire him, and the Royals did not trade him, thinking that he could be a five-win full-time player. We were both aware; both teams were aware of the fact that his defense is not as good as it was by WAR last year. But that said, you know, he's still a good enough hitter that if the defense regresses, he's still a very valuable guy to have. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's plenty of reason to believe in you know Martin in Haniger um, or in uh, Heredia should Haniger falter. Um, you've got uh, some some studs in the infield. I I think that there's there's enough balance here and enough uh, you know enough different backup options should some of these less proven guys falter that uh, we're we're more readily built to to withstand any kind of issue. And in I I remember in 2014, and I don't know if this was your guys' perception, but even that 2014 team that was so fun and so sort of surprisingly strong it often felt like well they're gonna have to hit three homers tonight and that's the only <laughs> way they're gonna that's the only way they're gonna win right yeah you know that, three solo homers exactly yep. and and so you know you had certainly a solid team but you had a team that was built around uh hitting for power and hitting for more power um, <laughs> don't, don't forget about hitting for more power. Indeed, you, you gotta remember that. Um, but that 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 is sort of that's something that's a little bit volatile. You know, you, obviously you have players that can hit. You know, players that can hit are not going to generally completely fall off a cliff for any reason. But mm-hmm. the idea that defense and speed are skills that, by nature, are very high floor uh, skills. Because you know you're if you're fast if you're a fast rangy player like Leonis Martin, you're not just suddenly going to forget how to <laughs> you know play. You're not going to get a hitch in your swing. Right. You know you're not going to get a hitch in your running motion and suddenly just lose a bunch of range. You know if you get hurt, obviously that's a different story. But mm-hmm. these are skills uh, that you can trust the players to have, mm. even if they're not hitting, and even if you know you're having difficulties in other ways. You're not you going to go through a defensive slump. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, tell that to Kyle Seeger and yeah, all I mean, of his it, weird yeah, season. Totally. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but other than that, you know, it's, it's when we talk about high, you know, a high floor, we've talked about all these pitchers that have the ability to go out there and just throw a bunch of innings. But the specific skills that they've targeted are the high floor skills that you have in baseball. And I think that's a really interesting way of constructing a team. Yeah, for yep, sure. I agree. I was I was just gonna say, I think uh, 
the other thing that's nice about the team that's constructed is there still is enough power on the roster because, you sure. know, that 2014 team would try to get three runs by home run, home run, home run, whereas <laughs> this team can go walk single home run and get the exact same amount of runs from that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, prov- you know, allows for us to get the guys that will walk and get singles and get on base, put them in front of the big boppers, in front of, you know, Cano, Seeger, Cruz, and then still have other skills that you get as a result of not just selling out for power. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I was going to touch on, uh, and more specifically about Leonos Martin. Um, you know, we were talking about his bat, and do you guys, do, do you all think that he's going to have an improvement in his bat this year? Do you, do you think he, he hits for more power than what 15 home runs last year i think he hits 20 this year that's my hot take Ooh, that's my hottest, I like hottest that. tank i like that that's that's uh, my super hot take have you seen his arms he's yoked <laughs> yeah there that's was true. uh for those that didn't see it there was a video he put up where he was training in the uh, same city where robinson cano is from uh swinging a sledgehammer at a at a tire and uh <laughs> He's got some guns on him now. He's some got some guns. guns. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and he talked, I think there was a piece either today or yesterday about how he's been working with Cano yeah. um, to improve his swing. And, and <laughs> you've, we've now got, you know, Martin, we've got Segura. <laughs> I'm sure some of the other players, you know, uh, have been working with Cano. Uh, it, it's not a bad person to have half your team modeling their swings on. Uh, it's know. Robinson Cano. So I think if he's... I think if he's healthy uh, and he is in the same place as he was at the start of last year, which there's no reason to think he wouldn't be, um, I think he matches that power. Um, and I think he'll be helped by the fact that he doesn't have to play every single game and he can yeah. get a day off occasionally yeah. and the team's not going to fall off a cliff. So. Or he can go play left field. Even just yeah. like not having to be in center all the time although i think his personality is one that (laughs) he wants to be in center he does not get any days off either remember uh service told us he's too annoying in the dugout (laughs) i think he'd be an elite an elite defensive right fielder oh Oh, absolutely i mean with that arm that arm can absolutely play in right you know this is this is Ichiro. basically you're talking about right field Ooh, that's 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 a good point. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's that's nice to think about. Um, and and going back to what uh, what you were saying about that he can have a day off now. So like you know if if he does injure himself, God forbid, um, slide over Gerard Dyson or Mitch Haniger, um, yeah. and then you can bring in Gadmo or maybe Gamble. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, he's, he's already been eaten by a bear. <laughs> And the bear is Boog Powell, <laughs> <laughs> and that's another guy. And, I mean, and then and that was what set off his test. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Turns out cannibalism is a banned substance. Of, a banned substance. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's the luxury of, of of the depth that's that we have on this team this year. Is we won't have to see Nori in center field. Uh, you know, if Leonis were to take a day off or get injured, so that, that's really nice to see. And the infield, just the defense all around, I guess I should say. And and I mentioned this in the last episode that that's the biggest thing that I'm excited for this year because you've got a good defense, your pitchers will be more confident, they'll be able to work with different stuff in the zone, and I think everybody's going to benefit from that. So that is why I'm very very high on uh, this team's uh, chances this year. Um, and when when you have players that. You know, I, I do 
worry a little bit about sort of the uh, the depth at a few positions. Um, sure. You know, we talked about catcher already, um, but it's it's interesting that sort of the second string and the third string at each position, other than maybe shortstop where we mm-hmm. don't really have another option. Um, they're very much the same type of players, and I think while that can be frustrating from a upside perspective, that helps from a consistency perspective where, you know, pitchers can go out there and say, okay, you know, Leonis has a day off, but Gerard's out there mm-hmm. and Guillermo's out and left, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to have to worry about the range completely falling off, you know, because it's not, oh, now Goody's out there. And, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and Stefan Romero's not in center field. Exactly. Oh. Well, and, and speaking just from a playing perspective, that makes such, it makes such a big difference when, you know, if I, I was never a great defensive player or playing many defensively impactful positions, I played first base when I wasn't pitching for the most part. But um, even even in that situation, knowing that the person, you know, if your shortstop has a day off, you have to worry about, oh, does the backup have the same sort of mentalities? Are they going to be able to get to these balls? Mm-hmm. You know, so having players who consistently uh, have similar range, similar skill sets, um, it just makes it easier for, you know, you take one piece out of the machine, you put plug something else you take one cog out you put another cog that's essentially the same cog right back in <laughs> everything keeps yeah. flowing you know everything keeps flowing in the jerry machine <laughs> <laughs> everything keeps flowing in the jerry machine well i think that's a maybe a good place to end on the present and when we come back we'll have grant tell us a little bit about the future Wear a tiny pair of hands Finds a seawall piece of glass And sets it as a sapphire in her mind And there she stands We are now going to continue our tour through the history, present, and we have landed on the future of the Mariners franchise. And Grant, who has a passion for contracts, because (laughs) there's a lid for every pot, (laughs) is going to lead us through that. Yeah, I'll be honest. This uh, this passion of mine probably just means I've spent way too much time with Microsoft Excel in my life. But uh, <laughs> no, I so I think you that, and Jerry, you're like you're like Lookout Landings, Jerry. You relax with a nice uh, hot bath and a nice spreadsheet. <laughs> Based well, on the amount of different video games that we have spent most of our time working <laughs> through the off season of to playing together in Dynasty mode or franchise yes. mode, I can attest. <laughs> well, I was going to cite the uh, the fantasy football spreadsheet in our our fantasy football mm. league, um, absolutely, where I have automated standings and records and uh head-to-head matchups and a whole bunch of mm-hmm. very useless things that no one actually cares about but you know we love still, it yeah or at least i love doing it which is all that matters i suppose um but yes the future so the first thing i want to say before i get into anything else 
is the major caveat that there's a chance that between when we are recording this podcast and when it is actually released that Jerry will have added to the 36 trades he has already made. And the, uh, the future plan that I'm laying out here will be in no way, shape, or form similar to, uh, to what, it actually, what it actually is. <laughs> um, but the biggest thing to know is that right now, the, the team payroll this year is $146 million, which is, you know, a lot. That's, I want to say, right around 10th or 12th in the major leagues, right around 10th. Does that sound right? Yeah, around that area. So it's, you know, we're, we're in the, the upper, upper tier, but comfortably, you know, in that, that middle class still. We're not close to the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox. Um, and basically, after 2017 and 2018, we lose control on a lot of guys, and there's a lot of payroll flexibility. So what does that actually mean? I mean, the, the, the biggest thing is that Jerry's done a, a great job adding uh, young guys that are controllable, that can take on major roles for years to come. Uh, obviously, you know, Mike Zanino is already in place, and he'll be, you know, team control until 2020. But uh, guys like Dan Vogelbach, who six years of mm. control, he's good until 2022. Uh, Segura is going to be a Mariner through 2018. Uh, but both Guillermo Heredia and Ben Gamble, our favorite Ben Gamble, are here till 2022. <laughs> Mitch Hanniger <laughs> is here till 2022. Um, practically every single random pitcher that you that we that was added this offseason to be our number seven starter is here through about <laughs> 2022. Um, you know, Ariel Miranda is here through 2022. So, you know, there's a lot. These guys are around for a long time. And unless they all spend, you know, the entire year on the major league roster, there's a good chance they'll even the service time will roll over. They'll be here through 2023. Jerry has done a lot of talking about that youth core and how important he's seen it to build the youth core. Yeah, um, and not trade from it. So this is all kind of, kind of backing that up. And something else that's interesting is we have a number of guys that have between two to three years of uh, of major league service time. And so, you know, in case everyone here is not quite as much of a junkie on how service time works and how the CBA all works, basically, once you hit six full years of service time uh, at the beginning of a season, you are then a free agent and you're able to sign with anybody. Uh, until then you're under team control for the first three years, you get the minimum salary. The next three years, you get an arbitration determined salary. So we have a lot of guys that are at that two to three mark where they're either making the minimum or they're in their first year of arbitration. So these are guys like, uh, James Paxton, Mike Zanino. Um, uh, you've got, uh, this, this big core right there, um, but you also have a lot of guys who are between zero to one. So that's where you've got Edwin Diaz, uh, Hanniger, Gamel, uh, Dan Altavia, Dan Vogelbach. Um, but there are actually only three guys on the roster right now with one to two years of service time. Uh, and those three guys are Chris Heston, Sean O'Malley, and Tony Zick. So not exactly core players. For whatever reason, hmm. there's a lot of flexibility in that little window years down the road to uh to really add when those guys aren't a big part of the team and you're saving some money on arbitration and the guys below them are still making the minimum Mm. but wow 
the 2019 roster is where I start to get worried because we have $71 million committed to three players. And those three players will be a 36-year-old Robinson Cano, a 33-year-old Felix Hernandez, and a 31-year-old Kyle Seeger. I feel okay. I feel okay with two of the three <laughs> at, at that age. Yes, because I feel I feel that Robbie will probably either be in the DH role at that point, or maybe first base. First base. Um, yeah, you can do first. Um, and I have a feeling Kyle Seager will play a long time, much like Adrian Beltre. Like mm-hmm. they'll just stay consistent for a long time. So I'm not too worried about Seager. Felix, eh, bullpen eh. arm. Both yeah, Felix. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, that, that, I guess that's the only one I'd, I'd be concerned about. Felix, if, if he's physically out there pitching, then I think he's going to be fine. I don't know that he's going to – he would benefit much from, from going to the bullpen just because I, he never seems like he's holding back velocity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it'll just be more of a process of him being more physically diligent, which – I think the, all the work he's putting in now is probably honestly going to be helpful next year as much as it is going to be this year, just because sure. if he keeps that up, it's going to show dividends in long term. Um, and then also finding, a, you know, finding the way to go from being like Bartolo Colon, for instance, where Bartolo was throwing 96, 97, 98 early in his career. And he learned to be a guy who just, painted the corner and was content with letting guys hit the ball if they needed to. So yeah. he's a, he's an adjustment maker. He just has to make this one. And I think we we've seen Felix make that adjustment earlier, you know, he's gone from the the young, you know, 19 and 20 year old in the in the bigs who was throwing, you know, high 90s and starts to lower velocities. We just need to, you know, mm-hmm. he needs to keep adjusting and and keep learning how to how to pitch with the uh, changing skill set and tool tool set he has. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that a lot of people make the immediate immediate comp to uh, what Verla- Verlander did recently. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That you know they kind of changed the way they they, they pitched, and I think I, I, at least I've seen some people say like, "Well, Verlander did it; Felix can do it." So I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens there. So by by 2019, that entire rotation is going to be very different because. Uh, Paxton is under control through 2020, which is quite nice. Um, but what's worrying is that he is the Paxton and Felix are the only starting pitchers under control. So, you know, Kuma has a team option for next year. I believe it's actually I'm not sure if it's a team option or a vesting option. Um, but uh, Giovanni Gallardo has a team option that will, barring a miraculous bounce back year, almost certainly be <sighs> bought out. Right. Um, for like I think it's two million dollar buyout, um, and then Drew Smiley is a free agent after 2018. And unless you're willing to trust, you know Chris Heston and uh, all, all the random guys, you know Ariel Miranda. Uh, unless you're willing to trust those guys as your third starter, I'm guessing that uh, that Jerry will have made moves to to acquire new new blood for the rotation well before then. Uh, unless you you are missing rotation stalwart Andrew Moore. Yes. Come on. <laughs> right. We do have uh, Andrew Moore, who's not too far off from the bigs. And then a little further off, we've got uh, Nick Neidert, who yes. is the, uh, I believe, the Mariners, uh, the, their first pick in the draft that also netted Andrew Moore. 
Um, he's a, a high schooler from, I want to say like South Carolina, Florida or something. Maybe I'm making that up. Uh, but we've also got uh, Rob Whalen, uh, nice guy, as we have previously monikered him, um, Rob Whalen, as well as uh, Max Povesey. Posey? Am I saying that right? Posey. Posey. Like Posey with a V. Okay, Max Posey. Uh, both those guys are, you know, good depth pieces and nice to have, but I, you know, I don't think anyone thinks that they have uh, a ceiling much higher than being a four or five starter, and even that might be a stretch. So this team will be relying on, on a number of trades. Uh, they'll also be, you know, shedding about $45 million in payroll each of the next two years, although some arbitration raises will eat into that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether Jerry changes his uh, his kind of preferred methods of improving the team by adding more free agents. You know, we've seen, I think the only multi-year free agency deals he's given have been to Steve Ciszek and to Mark Zepchinski, which is kind of shocking when you think about that, you know, <laughs> that's how much he avoids these multi-year deals. He does not give them to anybody. Well, if you came out of the Angels organization... <laughs> You probably would feel similarly. And we, uh, where I believe it was when Depoto was on uh, the Ringer podcast actually recently, um, and he was talking about sort of the different ways in which he's gone about constructing teams mm-hmm. when he's been in charge. When he was briefly in charge in Arizona, um, and he looked at that team and felt they needed to get younger and needed to get. Um, certain types of players and they acquired I think a number of young pitchers um, I remember Tyler Skaggs in particular only because he traded for him twice um, which was a fun little piece but um, and then when he was with the Angels obviously he had sort of a bit of a power struggle um, but that it was a different situation uh, that he's not someone who comes in with the idea of this is the way that it has to work um, and that he has looked at the Mariners um, and looked at what has been available in free agency and what the market is is allowing for and said, this is the best way for this team to be constructed based on what's available. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of flexibility is, I think, a unique, maybe not a completely unique, but I think it's a very admirable characteristic and something that, you don't always see in in people who have the personality to want to run a team and run an organization. I'm particularly interested in the fact that in what you were talking about, you're talking about um, who we have coming up for the pitchers. The only homegrown names there are Nidert and Moore. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is someone he's traded for. Yeah, and I think it's what's... What's interesting is, you know, on that same Ringer podcast, he talked about free agency was, you know, when you're signing free agents, you're signing guys who are most of the time on the wrong side of 30. And it's very much a a short-term kind of win-now proposition where, you know, if you're signing them to multi-year deals, uh, then the first year or two, they're great, and then they're not worth it by the end, but you got more production by the beginning. Um, That's the whole premise of the Robinson Cano deal, right? No one thinks that uh, what forty-one-year-old Robinson Cano is going to be worth twenty-four million dollars? But the I thinking the thinking is that thirty-one-year-old Robinson Cano is worth much more than twenty-four million dollars. Right. Um, whereas trading 
it's it is much more flexible, right? It allows you to go find those young guys like Rob Whalen or Max Posey that you can plug into the rotation and you know have work from a, a young age. But the problem is that you really have to be confident and trusting in your system and willing to say, you know, it's okay if Taiwan Walker ends up hitting big down the road because given the information we had, we thought that, you know, we'd rather have uh, Jan Segura and Mitch Haniger. But I, I also think it'll be interesting to see which minor leaguers make a big impact. And, and uh, Jose, I know that you, uh, you're much more of a minor league expert than I. Do you have any particular favorite minor leaguers you think that we could see on the field, you know, maybe not even this year, but 2018 or 2019 making a big impact or even later? Well, expert, I mean, you're being really generous with that. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I obviously you got guys like Kyle Lewis and Tyler O'Neill who will contribute to the team um, in the next few years. Um, my guy that I I, I, I want to keep an eye on is Brian Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's got a lot of tools. He's still a little bit raw, um, but just from seeing his numbers and uh, updates from uh, Mariners Miners, um, you know, when they provide updates from his games, you know, sometimes he'll go like four for four or five for five with like two doubles. Like he'll just have like crazy, incredible games. That's a guy I think if they keep him in the system, especially with the current way that they're with, with their philosophy, I think the sky's the limit for him. Like, and, and it may be irrational for me to think that because prospects are boom or bust. But I, I I have really high hopes for him. I'm really excited about what, what they can do with, with someone like him. I was just going to say about Hernandez, I mean, a switch-hitting 19-year-old who was given almost $2 million a couple of years ago, uh, That's a there's a lot to dream on there, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that's especially interesting considering we've had some frustrations about the lack of activity in the international market uh, mm-hmm. that a player like Hernandez, who especially with DePoto switching up so many features of the farm system as a whole, um, has had st- has still been able to see flashes of success and has been able to be comfortable um, coming in. That's good to see. Um I have a question for Grant that I'm happy to extend to both of you as well, depending on if it would apply. But I know that you, Grant, are a avid player of out of the park baseball, yes, uh, which is a fantastic uh, sort of baseball simulator. Um, and I'm curious if there's a player that you, uh, in your time with the Mariners, uh, have grown any sort of affinity towards. Uh, purely out of playing that game, uh, which is an incredibly robust uh, representation of the entire league. Well, unfortunately, I'm about to kind of perhaps undercut your robust interpretation (laughs) of the entire league by saying I have seen DJ Peterson become a star player and a star star, uh, left fielder uh, in that game. (laughs) So, okay. You know, I've also seen Gareth Morgan you know, learn to strike out a lot, a lot less. Uh, but no, I, I think, well, firstly, even that, robots have dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it is a great game. And I think what, what's fun about it is just, you know, every time you sim through it, you realize these prospects, you know, anything can happen, right? They like, some guys will figure it out. Some guys won't. And that does bring me back to the Andy McKay, 
Jerry Depoto player mm-hmm. development mantra that's throughout the organization. And, you know, it's hard not to have hope that whatever picks we have, whatever guys we, we draft, and, you know, it's nice to not sign big free agents so we get to keep our first-round picks, but whichever guys we do end up selecting, I feel confident trusting them in this player development system. And, you know, I think that we're in a, a, a nice enough spot that we're going to be able to pick guys the best talent available at the spot and within a couple of years they'll they'll be in the majors um and you know you don't really draft for need in baseball and i think it's nice that there's now enough depth that you really don't need to 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 feel pressed especially in the bullpen since that's the most obvious draft for need to take a, a jacob lindgren to get him up to the bigs earlier mm-hmm. uh brandon finnegan or someone like that um but you know we've got some good relievers and uh, this is also I'm I'm segueing so I can talk about one of my favorite random prospects who could become quite a reliever and that is uh, Tiago Vieira. Mm. Yes. Yep. Uh, You're in good company here. Yes. <laughs> I am ready to oh, yeah. talk about beatboxing Tiago Vieira. I I mean all I see there is you know an incredible fastball. You know MLB.com has it as a true 80 out of 80 grade fastball. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, you have that, you have any semblance of control, and you're very possibly uh, a major league reliever. I think Tiago is absolutely a major league reliever. Um, he developed a second pitch, so he's got a slider. I think it's a slider, right? Anyone read yes. that Divish article yes. with the slider? Because it's always a slider. Of course it's a slider. Our entire bullpen <laughs> is fast pens, fastballs and sliders. As uh, Ethan outlined today. As Ethan outlined in his great article, the Mariners bullpen will throw all the sliders. <laughs> uh, somebody in that organization knows how to teach a slider or a cutter or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and Vieira is another story that, you know, you, you get really down on the farm system, and it's easy to because there's so much negativity about it and so many negative things. Um, but, you know, Vieira spent three years, four years? How long has he been in the system? They had to rule five of him this they year. They actually signed him in 2010. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was... Yeah, yeah. He has been rattling around in our system for a long time. I think they signed him. They signed him, and then he went and pitched in the World Baseball Classic for Brazil. I think that's right. I mean, he had this great start. He was kind of the hero of the World Baseball Classic. He got the last outs to secure a win over. I think it was Panama, um, and he had all this buzz, yes. and then he just kind of disappeared. And he was just floating through the system for you know he was a starter, and then he was a reliever, and. Um, Ethan Katz, the pitching coach, just really took an interest in him and was like, this is going to be my guy. I'm going to get this guy, and I'm going to get him right. And I just feel like it's such a testament to what we can do with better player development. There's there's a lot to dream on here, right? Like, we've sure. got a lot yeah. of young... We've built a youth core that we didn't have before, and Jerry is out there making trades, turning eighty-five cents into a dollar on the daily. So, I mean, yeah, it's easy to look past twenty nineteen and feel some fingers of doom descending slowly, <laughs> clasping Safeco Field in their icy grip. But no, resist that. Resist. 
resist <laughs> the pessimism, believe in Jerry. I am I am all in. I have had the... It wasn't Kool-Aid at Jonestown. It was uh, something else, and poor Kool-Aid got mixed up with that for all time. But I'm drinking the Depoto Kool-Aid. All right. Well, I think that maybe sums up our discussion of the future. And when we come back, we are going to answer some of your Twitter questions. I be more than a god in my dreams It's wishful thinking I sleep more than I need to I drink more on the weekend I eat all me but fish I keep my knees with me I see sharks in the water I feed for marijuana I pray for all my homies I'm lying, at least I try I say that she's my only But got you on my mind Today I'm only human But know that when I die My grave Welcome back now is the time on the podcast when we answer your questions. And Jose is the question master. That's me. All right. First question we have is from Josh Cow, and he asks us, when is the next meeting of the Mitch Hanniger fan club? Hmm. John. Uh, so uh, I have a text from Josh's head coach. Uh, said, moved this Sunday's Garfield baseball indoor workout at athletic form up to 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh to try and avoid these Super Bowl parties. Uh, so, 12 p.m., Josh, uh, <laughs> after I finished teaching many, many pearls of wisdom for uh, pitching, uh, we will have our daily meeting. <laughs> there you have it. All right, uh, next question we have is from David Weirs, and he says, My A's lost to Seattle in the season opener in 2007 and 2010, 11, 12, and 13. How badly do you miss opening the year against us? Oh, I want to take a second and give a shout out to David Weirs, who wrote for us for the site for um, uh, We Asked an A's Fan and was very, very funny. And we are so sorry you're an A's fan. <laughs> and also, we miss we miss opening the season against your team. Yeah, specifically this year with uh, opening against the Astros, which, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Although I do want to mention that right after those uh, those A's losses to the Mariners in 2007, Seattle decided to then travel to uh, Cleveland to play a four-game set in Cleveland, and all four games were snowed out, and they then had to make up each of those games throughout the rest of the season. And the first game of that four-game series that never happened, the Mariners were just one pitch away from a five-inning no-hitter against Paul Bird. So there is a blast from the past 2007 edition. <laughs> You are welcome. <laughs> nice. If you're looking for a blast from the past 2012 edition, uh, it was very fun to open the season at Oakland in Japan uh, <laughs> on March 28th, uh, play another game that next day, and then take another week off before starting continuing that same series in Oakland uh, again. So miss it quite a bit. Tom Wilhelmson got the win. Brandon Lee got the save. <laughs> Wow. In 11 innings. <laughs> oh, my God. That is a blast from the past. All right, next question we have is from Dylan Jenkins, and he asks, what Mariner of the past, who was at the time decidedly average, be decidedly not average today? I am going to uh, throw it back to my first year of Mariner's fandom that I can really remember when I was eight in 1988. Um, and Steve Balboni... We only have for one year. 
Steve Balboni put up the 10th highest war on the team that year at 1.0 war. <laughs> Love it. Good lord. <laughs> so he hit, um, I think it was like 250 as a utility player. He's a utility player. <laughs> yeah, he slashed 250, like 300, 480, and was the 10th most valuable player on the team. Wow. So. I would say that was a player who seemed not average. He was extraordinary, who really, by all measures, is like a completely ordinary player. Oh, it was a fun, it was fun times being a Mariners fan in the late 80s. I would like to see Shigatoshi Hasegawa, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite relief pitchers uh, from the early 2000s. Uh, he was very serviceable um uh, i enjoyed getting shiggy with it from time to time <laughs> and uh i think we need him back i think he'd fit in very well in the pile my vote is for uh a player who i actually so this player uh carlos guillen yes. uh oh yeah i have a classic uh christmas list from when i was like seven or eight years old where I had like five things on it, including Pokemon cards. But one of the things, for whatever reason, was a Carlos Guillen jersey. And I never got it. I'm still bummed about it. But <laughs> I, I remember him as the guy that came in after A-Rod and was okay to whatever. <laughs> but, you know, in 2001, he was worth 3.3 wins. And, you oh, know, wow. he ended up being great with Detroit, which I still hold against Det the city of Detroit to this day. Um, <laughs> but he was a very solid to very you know, you know even good like a you know shortstop for three straight years. I thought you were gonna say new lungs for him since he was <laughs> so unfortunately afflicted uh, with illness during that stretch of time, and it was <laughs> yep. just such a new thing. But a jersey seems much more appropriate. I have lost a Mariners <laughs> trivia contest before because I named him as part of the 2001 ALDS roster. When he was not on the roster because of tuberculosis. Unfortunately. Oh, that was yeah. the difference. Yeah. That was the difference. Yeah. That's why I did not win the yeah. Mariners Fan Fest contest. Came in second. All right. Next question we have is from Benjamin Kasperin, or excuse me, Benjamin Casperson. What is the best nickname for a player on the M's of recent memory? Example, the King, Condor, Vogdor, etc. Vogdor. <laughs> Big Tuna. I mean, now that we know, we can call him Big Tuna. <laughs> you know, John brought up Big Hoss the other day. Hoss. <laughs> just Hoss. You know, there's Hoss. not a Big Hoss. Big is implied. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's, it's just, just Hoss. It's a just silent Hoss. Big. Mm, I feel like pitchers always have really good nicknames. I like Shiggy. I mean, getting Shiggy with it was mm. a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a pleasant radio. sound, but it's not a particularly creative nickname. No. Yeah, but it's fun. Uh, Jose, you really didn't like Gilly for Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> which was my fake nickname that I was sure Sims was going to come up with if he started getting more playing time. I think they <laughs> do. I think they do call him Guille, Guille, something like that. I think that's who is the they? short form. Like his that's teammates. Who is they? <laughs> his teammates call him that. Okay. Okay. That's fair. He is. He does have a badass nickname though, and it is El Conde. El yep. Conde. The Count. I love that name. The Count. And he calls his parents 
Il Conde and La Condesa. So it's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> he hashtagged that in a birthday photo that he made for himself on Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this while he was just hanging out live? Oh man, I totally, I hopped, I hopped right up into that, uh, oh into that to, yeah, he was drinking a, drinking a, a beer and eating some tacos and As engaging with his people. Good I did not understand awesome. one word out of his mouth. He <laughs> talks so fast. But yeah, I think I I got I I love El El, Con, El Conde. Yeah, yeah I, I'm gonna go with that. that that's actually mine because when he when they first signed him and I and I was looking him up, that was the first thing that they said was his nickname, and I was like, oh my god, I love that. Badass. <laughs> and that's uh, that yeah, awesome. that's 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 gotta be my favorite right now. Non Felix sure. edition. And throw out a, a couple more just uh, death defying things is sure, a wonderful yeah. nickname and though it's not very inventive i do love the bartender for tom wilhelmson because sure. yes man i wish he would be my bartender sometime hey, well you might so... have that come to <laughs> fruition i would also like to i would like to throw out a retro nickname that i thought was badass um, when we called norm charlton the sheriff yeah that was that's mm-hmm. a badass relief pitcher name all right, next question we have is from Kevin Dalosto. Can Jesus Sucre actually hit now or just a hot month? Just no. a hot month. Next question. <laughs> just a hot month. Just a hot month. In his three um, previous major league seasons, the sum of his OPS plus was 79. Oh. Good God. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We just, yeah. Just we know. love you in Tacoma. <laughs> All right, the next question we have is from Elias Hayam. Uh, and he asks, in the next five years, what percent of the current 40-man roster will remain? Kind of a kind of a tough one. Uh, the Cano part? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, Cano, Felix, Seager. Well, we Seager will be an agent, a team option. So probably still. Oh, okay. Zanino, maybe? Diaz. Diaz. Alta Villa. The maybe. only guy, yeah, the guys under team control would be uh, Cano, Seeger, Diaz, uh, you know, maybe Ariel Miranda or Heredia, Haniger, Alta Villa, Vogelbach, and fringe guys that I don't think will be on the team hmm. in five years. Five to 10%? You mean number one starter Dylan Overton. You, oh. you were talking about. <laughs> I was actually referring to uh, future all world center fielder Ben Gamble, but. Ooh. I want to know what alternate dimension you're living in. <laughs> the one where mm. Mike Freeman is also on our 2022 roster. <laughs> so, do we think maybe 5 to 5 to 10%? 10%? I think 10% is fair. So, four. that's four players. That's four players. Yeah, that sounds that sounds reasonable. All right, uh, next question we have uh Chris from Bothell. Who is currently the most overrated Mariner? None of them. They're all underrated. <laughs> <laughs> I find them all to be properly rated. Yeah, the only one I would have said for this was Taiwan Walker, and he's gone now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if we're going, I mean, it's hard to say. If we're talking like nationally, I don't know that anyone on this team is particularly overrated. I don't think there's a significant amount of hate for this team. There's just not that much. I think there's a lot of apathy. Um, <laughs> We might, as a fan base, be overrating Iwakuma. 
Uh, yeah. I can see that. In yeah. that he, you know, he does, you know, not what he has done, but just what he realistically has the likelihood of doing. Um, you know, and that his vesting option could be a real pain if he's just gets there barely, but has health struggles all year. Um, so I really don't want that because I love watching him pitch and he's a fantastic guy. Um, but he, he, I think is someone that I could see us believing in and this team putting a lot of trust in and him just not physically having much left. That's fair. I would like to be proven wrong. I think you could also make a case for our uh, our newly acquired shortstop, Mr. Segura. Um, mm-hmm. I think most of the fans are realizing that, and you know, are, are saying that his his breakout season last year was a bit of a fluke, and he will likely not repeat that. Um, yeah. And I think I think that is true. I think he will still be a very very good player, but there's a chance that he will return to being the not very good player he was for you know the better part of two seasons before that. And there are plenty of reasons that he was, you know, not as good, and there are plenty of reasons to believe that he will be much better than that, much closer to his 2016 version. Mm-hmm. But I think anyone who expects last year as the new norm could very well be disappointed. That's fair. I uh, I, I agree with Segura. Um, all right. Uh, next question we have is from Seahawks Crazy. It's a apt Seattle-based name. <laughs> uh, if Paxton craps out, is the season shot? And the other part of that question is, is he the highest leverage player on the 25-man? I think there's a good there's a good possibility that if Paxton is gets some horrible injury and can't p- pitch, it's ooh, that's a hole. That's a that's a real hole. Because yeah, yeah, a lot of it. He's the only thing approaching an ace pitcher that we have. Everything else is, you know, depending on some bounce back from Gallardo, depending on. Felix to be semi-Felix-ish, depending on Drew Smiley to not give up a zillion dingers. Everything else is so delicately hanging, it has to break right. Um, the only ding on Paxton is is he has this history with weird health problems. So, you know, hopefully the new arm slot solves a lot of that. The fingernail is healed. I don't think there's a high possibility that he craps out as you say um but i think that if he does if something happens if he gets a weird comebacker like he did last year which i i don't think i've ever felt more sick i was at the game for that i don't think i've ever felt more sick than when i saw and i'm apologies to matt shoemaker because i was also at that game but i was way out in the pen and i couldn't really see it so I'm going to give myself a pass on that one. Hey, we need to talk about your hexing. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting out of hand. It started with Adam Lynn, and that was okay, but got yeah. some concerns. Uh, yeah, I just, my stomach felt like it was just going to fall through the floor because I, if he went, if he wasn't able to finish the season, I don't think we would have been able to hang in there as long as we did. So, yeah. I totally agree. I think he's. I I think he is the key to the 2017 season. No pressure, James. <laughs> well, and and I think the thing, obviously, the injury is a big concern. Uh, but from what he's talked about recently, like at the luncheon, he mentioned how he realized that his arm slot was starting to to, to go back to where it was, and he recognized that, and he went, he he fixed it, he made that adjustment. 
So I don't think there's going to be an issue in terms of his pitching mechanics. Like, I think he's got it figured out. And if he starts to drift, he's going to adjust it, go back to where he needs to be. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, this rotation is going to rely on him a lot. I think uh, he's, he's going to be the guy this year in that rotation. Mm-hmm. And just to chime in on Paxson, I think if he's out, then any chance we have of winning the division goes with him. That's fair. That's probably a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, next question is from Jeff McMahon. What is your favorite one-year Mariner, and why is it Day Holy? <laughs> aw. It was last year. I mean, yeah. I He just provided so many highlight moments and while not being Adam Lind that <laughs> even when he struck out, I was like, oh, it's okay. This year, it's probably going to be Gerard Dyson, right? Where he go, the champagne flow. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love that. It's yeah. an amazing quote. Yeah. Yeah, just predictive. Like, the okay, so what if, you know, the worst case scenario, the Gallardo doesn't back, bounce back, Paxton, like, I don't know, an anvil falls on his head or something. <laughs> you know, just everything <laughs> bad happens. Gerard Dyson is going to be fun no matter what. Yeah. Like, we are going to get to watch walk-off interviews or dugout interviews something we're gonna get to listen to him talk we're gonna get quotes gene segura is gonna make funny faces like it's <laughs> going to be a fun team to watch no matter yeah. what dyson's gonna steal home this year that that's my Ooh. prediction and then in the post game interview when he's getting gatorade he's gonna say that's what speed do mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can we make a prop bet on this is that what how that works a prop i don't know what a prop bet well is. He, he, he said yes. that before um, I, at FanFest, somebody asked him about the time where he stole second to third in the World Series, and his response was, "That's what speed do." Mm. <laughs> and yeah, I'm really excited for him. He's gonna be a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun characters on this team. Good prop bets would be a nice uh, podcast topic at some point. Mm. And I, I like a, it. A good one would be, "Does a Mariner steal home in 2017?" I'm all for it. Um, next question we have is from Seatown 51. How will you measure the success of the 2017 Mariners? That's a very good question. Make the playoffs. Does it yeah. have to be a wild card? Does it have to be wild card berth? At least. Yep. Oh, I mean, they're no, up against I mean, the like, Astros. I, uh, like, come on. No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't expect any more than that. I think, but I think being in the playoffs, like Grant said, uh, if if it's less than that, I think I will be disappointed i certainly think it's it's a long you know it's a there's a lot that needs to go right but i think this the the robbie nelson felix that we still see the you know that we still see the little bit of the glimmer in before he may or may not reinvent himself but the felix that we still see a little bit of that that shine in you know that's right now and and we need this team to kind of come together and and make make it happen you know you have Dyson for this year you have Valencia for this year you have um you know a a bunch of players that are probably as good as they're going to be right now um and then Mm -hmm. a bunch of younger players who are going to keep getting better but they are not likely going to get so much better as to make up for the stars that we have right now um and so the next iteration of a Mariners team that's going to be as good as this one will probably be a very different looking team. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I think it's got to be playoffs for, for me to call it success. And I think last year, even though they, they came up short, I still thought it was a it was a moderate success. Um, it was a just success. Considering, they that? were 10 games over 500. Right. And like, that's and that's that's the that's thing to look success. at. I mean, they they had they had a, a big swing from the previous year in terms of wins and they were one game out of the playoffs. So that's that's a good season. But I think this year is the year they have to make the playoffs, at least for me to say, OK, now that was a successful season. Yeah. It's hard for me to say that they have to make the playoffs because the to me that depends so much on what other teams do. And like the Astros could just be world beaters this year and the Rangers could too. I mean, it's just it's really difficult, I think, with the they have to make the playoffs. What I'll say is I don't think I I think there's a difference between this season being a success and sort of it being a referendum on DePoto yes. or on the organization. Yes. I don't That's, think it's yeah. a failure of the organization per se, and I don't think that, you know, any I would feel differently about the process that they're going with. Um, I just think this team is has as has the best potential to make the playoffs of any team uh, in the in the last several years, and and I would be very very disapp- I would be far more disappointed if they didn't make it than yeah. I would have been in 2015 or 2014. Um, or or any of the miserable years prior to that. <laughs> I just, I would be disappointed if we are not able to host a playoff game at Safeco Field. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think yeah. it would be it would be so bittersweet to make the playoffs in the wild card game as the visiting team and then go and lose 7 to 2 in Boston. You know, that would just mm. be such a crappy way to end, you know, what would have been the almost, you know, probably objectively best Mariner season since 2001. Well, now you're just being greedy. I mean, <laughs> you not only want a yes. playoff spot, but you yes. want one at safe. I mean, by God, you guys, like, I, I mean, I, I would love for these things to happen. But and I mean, I think that the the distinction you make, John, is a really interesting one and an important one. I am content to feel like the franchise is headed in the right way and willing to for me depoto and his vision succeeding is more important than making the playoffs like mm-hmm. i would not want to make the playoffs in the wrong way does that make sense like 2014 that team was luck and it would have been great yeah. to make the playoffs mm-hmm. but it also didn't feel like it was founded if it, it felt like it was founded on a lot of luck if I was the Rangers last year, I might not have felt great about that. I mean, obviously, I would have felt great because <laughs> I would have won the division. But, um, you know, I for me, just for the long term, I want to know, and it's most important to me to know, that the franchise is in good hands, that we are going to see a successful, watchable product for years. Like, we're going to run out. The dark days of the 2000s are going to be behind us, and we're going to see something really exciting happen. And I'm willing to be patient a little bit about hmm. that. I, I, I think that's a big thing there is being patient because a lot of the fan base, they're, they're out of patience. <laughs> they're they're patience. fresh out of patience. Yeah. yeah. And I think which, is, which is fair. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's fair to them to be impatient with. Absolutely. Not the, the, the team has sucked. 
for so long. Yeah. They've been awful. They've been unwatchable. I mean, you know, they were unwatchable in the 70s. They were unwatchable in the 80s. They were unwatchable for large swaths of the 90s. They were unwatchable for pretty much 2002 to 2013-ish. Maybe, like... I mean, just the sheer density of failure is amazing. Fangraphs, for for all of the... You know, talk we did about the projections and and how sort of tempered they are. They have the Mariners as the sixth best team in the American League. You know, yeah. they have them as the second wild card team. All right, that's it's 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 that's a good spot to start. And if mm-hmm. we think that our outfield defense and the sort of way that the Mariners have been constructed to best suit their field and their team construction is going to let them exceed that. I think that's that's enough reason to be have have a little bit of high expectations. Um, all right, last question we have from Shane Skladani. Skladani? Skladani. Sorry if we're murdering your name, Shane. Yeah, apologies. <laughs> um, his question is: How big is Tyler O'Neill's impact in 2017, Kate? <laughs> um, minimal, extremely yeah. minimal. Maybe <laughs> maybe late September call up, uh, I and honestly, I one hundred percent believe that if the team is in a position where they're doing well or if they're doing poorly, um, and the Tacoma team is winning, I think they're going to leave Tyler in Tacoma, and have him try to lead that team to a championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see. I mean, with with all the outfield depth we have, I mean, we'd have to have two what two guys go down pretty much mm-hmm. for Tyler to have any kind of impact or even called up. And this is even if he has a a decent to, to pretty good year in Tacoma. Um, this is a big year for him down there. Uh, he really has to show that what he learned last year can translate into a higher level, mm-hmm. um, which I hope it will. But we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. If if he's hitting, I I think they have plenty of reason to bring him up and and have him in in the rotation as sort of an outfield option and a pinch hitting option but i think kate as you said there has been a a fair amount of commitment to letting guys get uh, at bats especially getting high competitive like high intensity at bats to prepare the entire organization to have this sort of winning mentality so uh I mean, they left Tyler in Jackson all last year. He could have easily come up mm-hmm. and hit in Triple A. Could have started having yeah. if they wanted to fast track him. He could have started to have that exposure. But it's like, and it's obviously something because you never hear anything about him being frustrated or wanting to move up more quickly. I mean, I'm sure he does, but I think he has done a great job of buying in to the plan that they have. I think they've communicated, which is not something that I thought was a hallmark of the Jack Z era. They've communicated with him really clearly. This is our plan for you. This is what we see you doing. Once you come up, you're not going back. Like, we're not going to bust you back down to AAA. It's not going to be like a thing where you kind of go back and forth. Once you're here, you're here. Mm -hmm. So. And he's still only 21. 21. Still very young. His impact will be smaller than his biceps. (laughs) 
There's my prediction <laughs> which, for 2017, which are admittedly which is, rather large. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, it's not exactly the highest bar to clear, but maybe uh, less deep than his voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, that's that's all we have. That's all the questions. All right. Well, thank you so much, those of you who sent in questions for us. Um, please continue to send them in and leave us your feedback. If you could, if you are an iTunes user, if you rate and review the podcast, we really appreciate that. It helps us find other listeners, people who want to hear us prattle about Mariners baseball forever. Uh, thank you so much, Grant, for joining us and lending your expertise on contracts. Thanks for having me. And uh, as always. Thank you, Jose. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye.